Good morning. We would like to um, welcome you to this wonderful uh, Sunday. Uh, it's uh, sunny today. If you haven't noticed already, maybe it was raining <laughs> as you came. But uh, my name is Nayaswami Bharat, and this is Nayaswami Anandi. And I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light. There are commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita written by Swami Kriyananda. And our uh, topic for this week is the best way to worship. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In chapter 4 of the Gospel of St. John, the woman of Samaria asked Jesus, where is the best place to worship? This question might be expanded to include, what is the best church? What is the best religion? Is it important to go on pilgrimage to holy shrines? What is the best ritual? What is the best mantra or prayer? Jesus cuts across all such questioning with his reply, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It, was not that, uh, it is not that outer consideration of place, church, ritual, etc. are irrelevant. Each person should find those practices and observances which are compatible with his own nature, one might say with his own vibrations. Not everyone's natural path is the same. God sent different religions into the world to satisfy different human needs. The overarching concern, however, considering that the goal is to find God, is to include in one's worship, da worship daily inner communion with the Lord. God is silence. He must be sought, therefore, in inner silence. God is absolute love. He must be sought, therefore, in the silence of love. God is spirit and thus immaterial. He must be sought above all in the expanding peace of deep meditation. Thus the Bhagavad Gita states in the sixth chapter, sequestered should he sit steadfastly meditating, solitary, his thoughts controlled, his passions laid away from every craving for possession freed. Wherever you are, whatever your outward beliefs and observances, seek God in the silence of your own soul. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om. welcome you again. It's just wonderful to be here together. I'll begin with a reading from Whispers from Eternity, Yogananda's book of prayers and poems. This is the very first uh, of the prayers. O Spirit, I bow to thee in front of me, behind me, on the left and on the right, I bow to thee above and beneath. I bow to thee all around me, 
I bow to thee within and without. I bow to thee everywhere, for thou art everywhere. Oh, a wonderful topic. You know, this, uh, we started, in a way, I um, sort of planned the service around the music. Um, because we have, a, and I'll explain how the music all fits into the service. Because words are limiting and sometimes misunderstood. And uh, a friend told me a joke recently that explains this. A man drove into a city in a pickup truck filled with penguins. And a police officer drove over and stopped him and he said, you should take those penguins to the zoo. And the man said, all right, I will. Well, the next day, the same man drove into the city with a pickup truck full of penguins. This time, the penguins were wearing sunglasses. <laughs> and the same policeman drove over, and he said, yesterday, I told you to take those penguins to the zoo. The man said, I did. And today, I'm taking them to the beach. <laughs> I felt a, after all the after all the joyful hard work you all did yesterday, I felt a, just a <laughs> joke was in order. But also, just talking about the music, we have our subject this morning is on meditation, and we're right in the middle of our Save a Week. And yesterday was the big Save a Day of all Save a Days here at the village, and so the blend. But Master has told us that. Selfless service and meditation are equally important. Not one is important, meditation only. Meditation only makes you lazy and too self-involved. Service only makes you too restless. But service purifies the heart. Service gets our energy flowing. Service helps us think about God when we're not doing it for ourselves, but for Him. And so the two go together. And so we have our talk now about meditation. And we started with, oh, God, beautiful, to just say, God's everywhere. God's here. God's everywhere. And then the next chant, which is very precious to me, um, I am the bubble, make me the sea. In one of his early lessons, Master said, chant this chant always. Well, he has hundreds of chants. Why this chant? And I don't know, but I, I surmised, and this is why I like to chant it to myself, which is the line, thou and I never apart. Thou and I never apart. So if your mind is taking a trend that's not useful, stop the trend and just start singing thou and I never apart. It's the healing for everything. And then we had a chant this is the song that Swami wrote, Home is a Green Hill. I actually, I think I may be the last one to have discovered this, but I only discovered that this song was about meditation during my seclusion last fall. I was meditating a lot, and every time I went for a walk, I was singing it all the time, and I went, oh, that's what it is. That's what it is. Home is a green hill. Home takes us to a place where there isn't anything negative. Betrayal, gone. 
negativity gone. We, re- we lift our consciousness to a higher place that comes from practicing meditation. Swami wrote this song, in, it was recorded in 1998, which was one of the very hardest years for this community and also for Swami Kriyananda. And to hear him sing this with such freedom and beauty and talking about the place that when you go to this place inside of yourself where you feel connected to God and you feel connected to his love, nothing else can touch you. And that's what we're seeking in meditation. On Friday, I was talking to uh, Sai Ganesh, who serves in our community in Palo Alto. And I was fascinated by what he was saying, because Bharat and I served in Palo Alto eons ago, 30-something years ago. He said that now, in Palo Alto, no one is interested in learning meditation techniques. Meditation has become such a common word and so commonly associated with meditation apps, which take you into nice, relaxing visualizations, that everybody thinks, well, I already have meditation. I already meditate. And I was reflecting on that. And it's, of course, wonderful, because if you're stressed out, it's better to be not stressed out than to be stressed out. But that type of meditation can't take you to a level where you leave behind all the negativity. It can't lift you to super consciousness. And that's where the techniques come in. And I wanted to share, uh, this is one of my favorite parts in the autobiography of a yogi because it's so clarifying. Introspection, or sitting in the silence, is an unscientific way of trying to force apart the mind and the senses, tied together by the life force. The contemplative mind, attempting its return to divinity, is constantly dragged back to the senses by the life currents. Kriya, or Hongsa for that matter, controlling the mind directly through the life force is the easiest, most effective, and most scientific avenue of approach to the infinite. So I read a story of masters that I had never heard before. When Master was a young man, a young boy, actually, uh, one of the older relatives uh, of his used to say that she meditated all the time. She was always taking seclusion. And because of that, she felt that she was much more pious than everyone else. Uh, But the rest of the family did not share that opinion. (laughs) And it actually made Master doubt the efficacy of meditation. He thought, wow, if she's meditating all the time and she's so dislikable, unlikable, (laughs) is meditation really a good thing? And he said, then I decided to pay closer attention to her. And so she would go into her, she was in her seclusion in her room, and he said, but I noticed that she was always coming out of her her room to to give correction to people, to (laughs) give advice to people from what they'd just been talking about, or if someone mentioned that they were going to the store, she was out of her room with a shopping list. And he said, I realized that her attention was not directed inward and upward. It was more directed outward. And so he said, then I regained my confidence in meditation. Um, There was a study done in Canada some years ago to study the attention span of the people. 
And they discovered that the attention span of a Canadian is eight seconds. Now this is especially, then this is, <laughs> he always tells the story, I'm editing it and he's, <laughs> Well, what's especially sobering about this is that the attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. <laughs> so, Bharat's comment is, if you're talking to a Canadian, you better be sure that he's paying attention. <laughs> but, of course, the irony of that, we laugh hilariously, but of course, the Canadians are our peaceful relatives to the north and probably the attention span of Americans is shorter. But anyway, we don't know what that is, so we won't go there. But still, we know that meditation is not an easy thing to do. And I wanted to talk just, I know that most of the people in this room are serious meditators, committed meditators, and have heard a lot about meditation, but I'm boldly going to try to say a couple of things anyway about meditation. Uh, looking at meditation as having two key ingredients for success. The first one being uh, frequency, practicing regularly. Um, just for background for those of you who are new, um, doctors now are saying that basically every time we meditate, we're working on the structure of our brain. We're literally reconfiguring our brain to bring more energy to the prefrontal lobes, which is the seat of happiness and concentration and well-being. And we're having a calming effect on the limbic system, which is a part of our brain that has to do with depression and anger and frustration and anxiety and so forth. And so each practice of meditation is just as if we were going to the gym and lifting weights. Each practice of meditation is building the muscle of bringing our attention where we want it to a place where we can connect with the home within, God within. Um, a few weeks ago, Parvati was talking about looking at life as an Olympic game. We're trying to, we're always challenging ourselves to be more calm and more uh, connected and more uh, attuned. And so I thought, well, if life is an Olympic game, then Meditation is the gym where we work out for our Olympic trials. This is where we build our strength, we build our uh, flexibility and our stamina. So every time we meditate, often it feels like nothing is happening. Um, you know, sometimes it feels like a lot is happening, but there are a lot of meditations, especially in the beginning, that feel like, okay, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. But that constant repetition, even if it feels like nothing is happening, is really transformative. And I just say this from my personal life, and I think everyone in this room who's been meditating a long time will say that, that you begin to experience things you didn't ever expect. You begin to look at your life and go, I am a different person, and it's changing me. Um, and I think the most important meditations are the ones that you don't really want to do, but you do them, and as you do them, you actually 
feel yourself lifted to a higher state of consciousness. So you come in perhaps foggy, perhaps restless, perhaps um, dull, and as you practice the techniques and you practice devotion, you feel connected with a higher state of consciousness. And those are revolutionary meditations. But I wanted to talk next about the second thing, because a lot of us have heard about how important it is that you have to meditate, you have to meditate, you have to meditate, and I don't want to kill that. Um, the second is freshness. And to me, freshness means what can we do to keep our devotion in meditation high? What can we do to make us want to go in day after day, twice a day, every day, keeping that alive and, and enthusiastic? So I just wanted to share a few things that have been for me lately, things that have been um, helping me. The first is that letter that many of us are familiar with from Yogananda, from our master, to a disciple. And he said, you must never lose courage. Divine Mother sent me to pilot you out of the clouds of your mind. Everyone's difficulty is different, and he has to win that test of karma and Divine Mother. This was a message that has to do with life, but also with meditation. Doesn't the clouds of your mind sort of encapsulate what it feels like when, when you're in that unmeditative state? And the, the guru is there to help us. One of my uh, favorite of the Indian chants, we don't do it here very often, but it's a beautiful chant, very lively, and it's called Ganesha Sharanam. I've been chanting it for a long time, many years, and only recently did I ask what the word Sharanam means. Sharanam means refuge. So basically, I seek refuge in God. And I thought, now that is a really good sense to take into your meditation. Rather than, oh, I should meditate, I have to meditate, I promised I would do Kriya twice a day, every day. I take refuge. I go to this meditation room to connect with a safe and nurturing place. I um, recently was having one of those mornings, I can't remember what it was, if I was too restless or I didn't feel well. And I thought, you know, meditation this morning is going to be extremely difficult. I couldn't get hold of my concentration at all. So what I did is I brought to mind my, my most endearing picture to me of master in my mind. And I sort of held that vibration as I practiced my technique. I felt like it wasn't just me practicing Hong Sa, practicing Kriya, but this endearing helping presence was helping me. And I'm not trying to teach you a new thing to add to your technique because we're not supposed to do that. But I am encouraging you to say, what's, your, what's strong for you? Where's your, where's your strength in meditation? Is it listening to Om? Is it prayer? Is it Kriya? Is it talking to Divine Mother, Master, Jesus Christ. What's your anchor? What's your refuge? And really use that when you need it. That can give you a boost. Um, some people, I, I know someone who's been ill for a while, he can't do Kriya, but for him, Om is a sanctuary, it's a refuge. So he just goes to that and stays with God there. Maybe it's just looking at a picture on the altar and trying to draw that consciousness in you. 
but try to work with your strengths. Don't beat yourself that I have to do more of this or more of that. Just like, I need help now. God is my refuge. How can I draw on that? A disciple went to Master, and he was having a hard time. And he said to Master, Sir, would you bless me? And Master said to him, and I think this is its equally true for everyone. He said, I am blessing you all the time. So much I cannot even say. Don't even ask. Just try to receive it. So it's not that the guru isn't blessing us when we feel empty and uh, difficult. The guru is blessing us, and we have to receive it. I've thought of it, and I know we've, every one of us here has experienced times where God feels very, very close. And then other times where God feels very far away. We feel perhaps our mind is just like cheese. It's just impenetrable. <laughs> and during those times, I remind myself, nothing has changed. What you were feeling when God felt close, it's still the same. You're not perceiving it, but it hasn't changed the closeness of God. And so trying to draw on that, trying to remember those times where you felt a special blessing, and just relive it. Just make it real. It's still happening. Nothing changes. God does not change. We go through things, but God doesn't change. Um, we uh, were just watching, both of us, Bharat and I, uh, a YouTube video that Scott Markham recommended to us all on, um, you, on uh, our Nextdoor website. And it's a video about a man named George Gay, Dr. George, who was a self-realized disciple of Master. And it's fascinating, and I can be happy to give you the YouTube link and all that. Uh, totally different kind of a vibe than uh, what we're used to, but just incredibly sweet and transcendent. And one of the things, miracles all over the place, but one of the things of all of it that touched me so much was one of the women said that when you were standing there, if Dr. George walked up behind you, you could feel enveloped by his love before you even turned around to see who was there. This, this love enveloped you. And he said his message to us was just be. You don't have to do anything. We are loved by God. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do anything or you shouldn't, you know, <laughs> graduate college or start a business or whatever you want to do, but that won't make God love you more because he already loves you as much as he could possibly love you, more than we can imagine. And all we're supposed to do, and this is what meditation really is about, to be still enough that we can receive it. When we're in motion, we're in the world of delusion and maya, we're just moving with things. When we can have the stillness, even when, we, when our body is in motion, if our hearts can be still, we can receive because God is stillness and his love is in that and coming to us all the time. I was thinking that the greatest obstacle to meditation, don't say, oh, I, told, I knew that already, <laughs> is maya. And you'll say, well, of course the greatest obstacle to meditation is maya, because maya is delusion, 
And maya means that you're attached to your body and your desires and your possessions. And of course, that would be the greatest obstacle to meditation. But there's another way of understanding it. Maya means to measure. That's the literal meaning of the Sanskrit word maya, to measure. Um, and what happens when we're in meditation, Master said, if you can say, if you can have God in the moment, if you can have joy in the moment, you have God. In this moment, we're with God. When we're in front, behind, to the side, we, we, we step out. And that's what happens to people that takes them away from meditation. They're trying to meditate, and the thought comes, I think everyone else can meditate better than me. So suddenly, we've moved sideways, and we're just like comparing. Or we're saying, I'm not getting anywhere. We're thinking about backwards and to now. We're in time. Or how long is it going to take me to make progress? We're moving out of now. And that is Maya, and that brings discouragement. And discouragement is the biggest obstacle to keeping up with your meditation. And I know I've said this in a very recent Sunday service, but Devi, um, now one of the spiritual directors of Ananda, um, in, when she has just been here a few years, um, asked a visiting saint, what can you do to stay on the spiritual path your whole life? And he said, never compare yourself to anyone. It's the strangest advice on the surface. But if you've been a meditator, you realize it's very deep. Because what throws us off is we think everyone else can meditate. This doesn't really, this can't really be meditation. But really to say meditation is to be right now in my center, in my spine, in my heart, in my spiritual eye, right now. Not, not measuring, not comparing. So trying to connect with that part of ourselves and, and to, to hold that. Um, one of the things that, and I know you know this, but I forget this for months at a time. One of the things that helps me very much um, in meditation is to read something by master before I meditate. On those days when you wake up and you've done everything, you've, you've showered, you've energized, you've done your mahamudra and you're still not feeling ready to go, pick up something that calls to you. Sometimes one sentence will change my entire perspective in meditation. Sometimes uh, 10 minutes will, will just take me to a whole other place and it launches the joy of meditation. And lately, some of us have been reading um, uh, Patanjali Demystified. And it's got some very interesting, in chapter, uh, step three, he goes into something very interesting that is worth thinking about. And it's called Samyama. And it means attunement or absorption in. And he's talking about all the different things you can attune yourself to or absorb your mind in. One of them that struck me is a, a samyama on the elephant helps you draw the strength of an elephant. Whoa, that's a really interesting thing to think about. That you're trying to attune to this essence of something. Um, the one I, one I especially like was samyama on the thyroid. There's a Sanskrit name for it. Helps you remain motionless in meditation. 
people are nodding their head. Yes, it is. I've been working with that. It's very, very good. But then I thought, well, I really like elephants, and I certainly would like to be strong, but I would really rather be like my guru, Paramahansa Yogananda. So I was sitting in front of my, my large picture of Master, and just eye to eye, just trying to, not through my visualization, but through my actual picture of him, draw what is that underlying uh, essence that I can attune myself to. And feeling that come in, and then close your eyes, and then hold on to that. Samyama, attunement, absorption in that quality. So pay attention to where your mind is absorbed and think if maybe it needs to be re redirected. And you can find a lot of really interesting things in that, in that chapter. But just to close, because I know that people, we all go up and down with things like service, things like meditation, whatever it is, we, we do our best. And Master said the most important qualities on the spiritual path are sincerity and devotion. So we apply our sincerity and devotion by using the techniques that our guru has given us. But beyond that, he said that every sincere effort to meditate is registered in the divine. He didn't say every great meditation is registered in the divine. Every time you see the inner light, it's registered in the divine. He said every sincere effort to meditate is registered in the divine. And our journey, as um, Swami said, uh, he was talking about his own life and how, um, how he had tried so hard to get over too much intellectuality and he really chanted and he really meditated and he really prayed and he was starting to feel like, yes, I'm making some changes in myself. And he heard what Master Yogananda had said about him. He said, look how I have changed him. Talking about Swami. Look how I have changed him. And he realized, oh yes, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. But in the end, it's the guru within us. It's by trying to attune to that presence of God and guru that the changes will come. So yes, we need to serve, because that's our sincere effort. Yes, we need to meditate. That's our sincerity. But in the end, it's God and Guru that is going to transform us. So let's just take a few moments to reflect on this. 